Hey guys, this is the very last episode of 2020. And like most of you out there, I am very excited to say goodbye to this year and hopefully turn a very new leaf as we roll into 2021. Today, I have an episode of We Are Photographers, uh, the podcast associated with Creative Live, which I am sure most of you know of. And if you don't, you need to check it out. But before I give you a little more background information on that, I want to share a couple of announcements with you. First, Friday is the first day of the new year, and I will be getting back into my two-episode-a-week schedule after my little December break. And instead of doing a traditional mini-mentoring session on Friday, you can look for kind of a short episode that's going to give you some hopefully inspiration about planning your year and setting your goals, but also some insight into what my plans for this coming year are with the podcast. So be sure to check in on Friday for that. After this coming Friday, we will resume the normal mini mentoring schedule for Friday episodes, and then Tuesday will be my my full-length episodes. Speaking of mini mentoring, there is still space for January mini mentoring spots, I'm hoping to highlight people who have goals that they want help setting up kind of a plan to execute. So if you've got a big goal for 2021 and you would like some help putting together a step-by-step plan that is personalized to you to help you get that actually executed over the course of the year, go to thiscan'tbethathard.com slash mentoring and fill out the very short application there. If you've already done that, I haven't responded to anyone, so don't think that I am ignoring you. I'm just waiting to see what my different options are because there's always a fair amount of overlap with that. So I just want to I want to make sure that we're covering a few different bases so that these are not only helpful for you, but also helpful to as many people as possible in the audience. Yeah, so today's interview, I saved it for last because in many ways, this was a a special guest interview that I did over on Creative Live. Back in 2012, I think it was, when I was a brand new photographer, or a pretty brand new photographer, and Creative Live was a brand new thing, I applied to be in the live studio audience for Bambi Cantrell's course on posing, lighting and posing. And I was accepted and I flew out to Seattle and spent four or five days attending these classes and getting to know the Creative Live crew. And and I formed a special bond with Kenna Klosterman, who has continued to work with Creative Live for all these intervening years. If you are at all familiar with Creative Live, Kenna and and you probably love her because she is pretty much <laughs> not you you can't not love her she's just a a lovely human being anyway i have maintained contact with her on and off through the years intervening and and i <laughs> sent her a message earlier this year saying i'd love to come on we are photographers which is now the podcast that she runs that's in association with Creative Live. And it was a bit of a stretch for me. I feel like a lot of the people that they highlight on there are extremely accomplished photographers who have done all kinds of art and made all kinds of artistic strides. And that really wasn't 
what I was going on there or suggesting that I go on there to talk about. But I sent her <laughs> a a link to an old YouTube video that her partner at the time on Creative Live, Susan Roderick, had made. It was a video of Kenna interviewing me. And I was like, we should do this again. And I'm going to link to that video in the show notes because it's hilarious and hilariously embarrassing. You can't... <laughs> You can't laugh too much at my really bad hair, but but it was on there. I was talking about how you have to ask. You have to go out there and you have to set big goals and try and put yourself in these vulnerable positions. And And at the time, I was talking about asking Bambi Cantrell to do a portfolio review for me. And when I sent that to Kenna this summer, I was asking her to to have me on her podcast. And those things were both a stretch. And they put me in the position of having somebody tell me no. And I did them anyway, and they both turned out well. I've done lots of other things where I did get a no. I did get a rejection. But I share that story because I think it's important to, as you're setting your goals for 2021, really think about What's the worst that could happen? We all know from 2020 that there are a lot of horrible things that could happen, and many of them are completely outside our control. The things that we can control are few, but if we don't ask, if we don't put ourselves in the position of potentially being rejected, there's no chance at all that we are going to, or an extremely slim chance that we are going to have any really big successes. Today's episode that I'm sharing with you is the result of a going out on a limb. And it was a really great conversation. It's always nice to chat with Kenna and, and her show, We Are Photographers, is wonderful and worth checking out. So I'll leave you with that. Happy New Year. I will see you on January 1st. I wish that I could, or I hope to inspire more willingness to play with business in the same way that people are willing to play with light and shadow and aperture and editing and all the different things that are the more fun things because I would not have created the system that I created. I would not have been partnered with PickTime. I wouldn't have podcasts, all these different things. If following my divorce, I had just continued to try and put that square peg in a round hole, like it wasn't working and the only, and I couldn't find anything that was going to work. And so I just tried something different. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. This is We Are Photographers with Anami Tonkin. And this is her story.
dive in uh, to the podcast today. I'm super excited to have today's guest, Anami Tonkin. And Anami is not only a photographer herself, she's an educator. She is the co-founder of a boutique conference that's been going for five years now called The Family Narrative. And she also is the host of a podcast called This Can't Be That Hard, which is all about teaching photographers out there that they don't need an MBA in order to run a profitable, successful photography business. And one of the other reasons that I'm super excited to have Anami is that she is truly a real Creative Live story. Back in 2011, she was a student here in our Creative Live studios in a Bambi Cantrell class. So we're going to dive into that story and her evolution as well. Anami, welcome so much to the podcast. So happy to have you. Ken, that was such a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. How are you today? I am so good. And just happy so- World Photography Day. I had yeah. no idea. <laughs> There's so many of those holidays out there. Yeah. And when they're sure. photography and film related and creativity related, we love to celebrate them. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm looking for all the excuses to celebrate these days. So yeah. where, where are you joining us from? And we'll get into sort of how things have been going during these times. We're recording now in August of 2020, and it is pandemic times um, for sure. But how are you and your boys, your family? I'm good. And I am here at home like we all are these days. I am in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And yeah, we my kids just got back to school and things are taking shape in the new brave new way that they have to, I suppose. The brave new world. So Anami, I want to share a little bit about what you are doing today and then dive back into the process and evolution of getting there. Sure. Tell us about the tell us about the family narrative for starters, and then we can go yep. into the podcast as well and why you started sure. it and what it is. Yeah. That all it's all tied together. Started my photography business ten years ago. And that was sort of chugging along as it was. And then I am a family photographer and that's how I make my living. And five years ago, more than five years ago now, I was at a conference and I met two other women and we got together over our shared frustration with the fact that there were so few resources out there for family photographers that were specific to family photography. There was a lot of very sort of boutique conferences. And there were some online classes and things like that that you could take. But when you wanted to go to a bigger conference with more um, sponsors and more availability of seeing products and things like that, there really wasn't anything for family photographers. And so we literally were sitting around talking about, oh, that's so frustrating. Family photography always gets shuffled under the carpet. And that evolved into this, we should do this, we should make a, we should put together a conference. And who would have thought that actually would have taken root. But less than a year later, we had our first meeting of the family narrative, which, as you said, is a boutique conference, we intentionally kept it really small, we limit it to 50 attendees a year. But we have a very high educator to attendee ratio or low ratio. I don't know. I don't remember how that goes. But it's it's basically like eight to 10 teachers with these 50 um, attendees. And then we do a sort of a three or four day intensive in person thing that's really focused on making sure that people are getting a lot of real content and not just fluff cheerleady. Hey, we're all here. We're all in this together. There's a little bit of that, but it's a lot of really actionable content, which is something that 
I've always felt was really important. And so through that and through working with more education and learning more about the fact that I like to do that and starting to take on more of that role, I realized that was something that I was good at and enjoyed and was able to give back to the community. So I started doing more of that. And out of that, This Can't Be That Hard was born and I started podcasting and here we are. I think it's interesting that you, A, that you say something that I was good at. And even like your tone of voice changed a little. And because I know in listening to your podcast like this, like you're such a cheerleader and and yet it's still this, we don't always give ourselves credit for what we are good at. And I, and I know that you, in, in your podcast, you talk about craft, you talk about business and you talk about self-confidence as well. And so I'm curious if we can talk, because I believe that we, we talk a lot about this in all kinds of creative life classes, but that, that it's 90%, if you're running a photography business, it's usually 90% business, 10% photography. But I think like it's actually like 50% self-confidence and then the business yeah. and then the craft. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Is there something that was a major kind of some stumbling block that you got through to gain that self-confidence to start that, start the conference, start a podcast? Hang on, guys. I have a quick message for you. Did you know that This Can't Be That Hard isn't the only podcast I host? Each month, my marketing director, Dana, and I team up to bring you a fresh injection of marketing ideas and inspiration on our other podcast called The Consistency Club. The podcast is free and available to any photographer looking to uplevel their marketing game, or you can take it one step further and join the Consistency Club, where you get the extended version of the podcast along with monthly email and social media templates, bonus trainings, and special access to the live marketing events we host twice a year. If you're interested in tuning in, you can search for and subscribe to the Consistency Club wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join us in the membership, you can visit go.thiscantbethathard.com club to sign up. Yeah, except that it goes back to before I was ever a photographer. I feel, I feel like my the key to my success, if you want to call it that, but the the thing that as some of these things are so much easier to see in retrospect, right? Of than course. they are when you're in it, when you're right in front of it, it is so difficult to know am I making the right choice? Am I going in the right direction? But in retrospect, you can look back and connect the dots. And for me, I think that so prior to Uh, transitioning into photography as a full-time photographer. I was working as a nurse. I was in, uh, I was getting a master's degree in midwifery. Like I had a whole different career trajectory planned out in my mind. And when I was working as a nurse in a labor and delivery unit, I was in a very high risk hospital. So we had a lot of people, we had a lot of perfectly normal births, but we also took on a lot of client patients who there's that funny transition of (laughs) vocabulary. I didn't have clients in the hospital, but, but my patients were often quite high risk and we had these life or death scenarios. And so when I was first getting into photography, now I don't even think twice when someone asks me, what do you do for a living? I'm a photographer. I I have no, there's no imposter syndrome left, whatever. But in the beginning, I think it is, it's an unusual person who has no, not that little hesitation of imposter syndrome. 
sometimes I, I question when people are so overconfident in the beginning, it's okay. <laughs> but one thing that I kept telling myself, and it was one of those things that I really did have to almost talk myself through it, was no one's going to die. If you show up and say you're a medical professional and you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself into some big trouble and other people too. But with photography, it's, it is a creative art. It is certainly there's better and worse. And there's, I don't ever encourage anyone to take on a role or a responsibility that they're not up to the task for. But I also think that we have to give ourselves a little bit of extra credit where a lot of what we do, and the longer that I've been in this business, I have come across people who are extremely accomplished photographers, who then I find out they don't like that. Maybe they don't know something technical about what they're doing, or they have no idea what they're doing when it comes to the business side of things like this is it's not a really um, laid out mapped out path for people, which is a good thing. It's a bad thing in some ways, but it's also a really wonderful thing. That's part of being a creative, right, is forging your own path to a certain degree. So I credit the fact that I was willing to take those risks. And I just always said to myself, nobody's this is not a matter of life and death. This is a matter of you being willing to make the leap and having that faith in yourself that if you've promised someone something, or if you have said, I can do this, that you're going to figure it out one way or the other. And I, first of all, so I think it's awesome that you said now, today, 10 years later, whatever you are able to confidently say, when somebody asks you, I'm a photographer, because I think, oh, yeah. you know, people still struggle <laughs> with that. And so let's go back to you. I mentioned uh, in the very beginning that I see you as such a fabulous success story of not all of obviously you doing so much work to where you got today, but just having met you back in 2011, when you came in person, uh, and were one of the studio audience members for a Bambi Cantrell workshop 2011, it's now 2020. So nine years ago, you're a new photographer, um, or new in the business. And here we are today. Take us back to one of the things that I remember because you shared this YouTube video. You guys can YouTube or mm -hmm. you could search on me Tonkin on YouTube and you'll find this behind the scenes video of me 10 years, both of us 10 years <laughs> younger, which is hilarious. But one of, the, one of the things that struck me in watching that was that you asked Bambi Cantrell for a portfolio review one morning. Mm -hmm. You asked her like the night before. And at the time, that was a very bold thing to do in that at the time, Bambi is a world-class photographer and she would run workshops where part of that was paying a lot of money in order to get port, you know, portfolio reviews. But you asked anyway. Tell me about that sort of no is the worst answer attitude and how you've taken that from that time to now. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like some of the best mentors out there will be the first ones to encourage you. You can't make a shot that you don't take. I, not that I always jump out and ask for the things that I want, but it really is. I think a lot of people in the arts, but just in life are so worried about having someone feel like they are imposing on them or that they will be perceived as pushy or difficult or annoying or any of those things that they just stay quiet. And I see a lot of photographers who are more or less waiting for their ship to come in 
and someone to say, you're an amazing photographer. Let me give you this job at Nat Geo or whatever the case may be. And they may be an incredible photographer, but the field is like jam packed right now. And you can't, you, I just don't think that there's enough time in life to sit around and wait for people to take notice. So I feel like if, and, and I need to credit my friend, Nick North, who, who used this particular phrase. I don't know if you know him, but yep. he's an amazing person. Oh, good, good. Oh, of course. That's also creative life I, student. Yes. I know, I know, which was how I first knew him. But, but anyway, he talks about collecting no's and he talks about how if you are not actively out there collecting your nose and practicing that muscle of maybe getting rejected, maybe you'll strike rich early, right? Like maybe you'll have some good results early on. But I just think it's such great advice because the truth of the matter is certainly you want to respect people's time. You don't want to be, you don't want to be annoying. But but I think that if you are and being an advocate for yourself, you're way more likely to make a lot more progress much more quickly. With Bambi, before we jumped on to the live, you and I were talking about the fact that, so my kids are 14 and 10 now. And at the time I had a one-year-old. So I had, I am not active on Twitter at all, but I have a Twitter account that I started right before that. And the, one of the very first things that I came across when I started on Twitter, this is so funny. Does this make us sound super old? <laughs> Twitter was in its infancy, but one of the very first things I came across was Creative Live and Bambi, like the ad for Bambi's class was on there. And it was like, if you want to be in the studio audience, submit a Twitter audition or something. So I made, this is another thing you can search on YouTube. Actually, I made up a poem and I submitted it and I got in and I was super excited, but I was also stressed about the fact that I had a nursing baby at home and this was going to mean leaving for five or six days. And I was like, uh, uh, do I do this? Do I not? And, and the, what I told myself was, if you're going to do this, if you're going to throw your family into a little bit of havoc and all this other stuff, then you need to make it worth your while. So I just told myself, you're going to show up and you're going to raise your hand and ask questions. And if, and I put together a portfolio before I came and, and promised myself that I was going to ask her for a portfolio review. Cause that is one of the things that she is known for is doing that. So I did. And she said, yes, and it was great. And it's just, I think that it's that kind of practice, especially when you're early in your career that can make all the difference, but just on the creative live path, then I left creative live and turned around and pitched a story about creative live to Rangefinder and wrote that. And it's that sort of thing that you just make your own way. And none of those things turned into me being some sort of like, rock star photographer. And that actually wasn't what I needed at that time. I just needed a little bit of like confidence boost that this was a community that I belonged in and that I was happy to be in. That's also these proof points to yourself. It's love that you talked about Nick and the gathering no's, but also often we need those just even one yes to create a turning point that we then gain experience and it goes a different, a different direction. And so I'm curious if you could take us back as well as part of this journey into some of the challenging times as in the journey that that got to you to where you are today. I know back in 2000, if, if I know you're an open book, so oh, yeah. can we talk about, this is so relatable to a lot of people, like how did yeah. getting divorced affect you, your business, your family, and how you had to 
pivot. Yeah, totally. So I, I actually, and again, it's much easier in hindsight to, to look at these things and give yourself grace, but I had been chugging along in business for a while. Things were going well. I When I started in 2010, the sort of conventional wisdom of the time was that in-person sales was where it was at for making a living as a portrait photographer. So I learned how to do that and was doing that with perfectly good success. So I had this business. I had left my nursing job years behind. And then in 2017, my 14-year marriage dissolved. And it was one of those situations where I had like a lot of people who, especially who are in dual income houses, it can be easy to let your money, it all kind of merges together. And that was all, it was enough. It was enough to sustain me and validate the fact that I was in business. But when we were in a meeting with our lawyers going through all the paperwork and we were, it was specifically a financial meeting where we had to do this big deep dive on incomes and all this other stuff. And my ex's lawyer looks at me at one point and goes, so when are you going to go out and get a real job? And that was an emotional mess anyway, but you cannot even imagine the like burning ember in my chest at that point. And I was like, oh, I am going to make this work. So I was looking at the issue at hand was the fact that my sessions individually were profitable and I was making good money with the sessions that I was doing. But in-person sales, for anyone who's done it or considered doing it, it's great, except that it takes loads of time. So one of the things that I had considered was maybe what I need is a studio manager. I need somebody to come in and do my sales sessions for me and handle that end of it. But that was going to mean paying someone, which seemed like a lot to take on. And I was wrestling with this and I thought about, okay, I'll just go to all-inclusive. A lot of people are doing all-inclusive work. And... Ultimately, I decided I I did go to all-inclusive for a little bit. And what was funny was that even though I lowered the prices that I was charging people, because like my in-person sales averages were one thing. And then I was like, I'll just cut a third off of that and do all-inclusive because I won't be spending as much time. But that number was was big enough to to put off even the people who were hiring me and doing in-person sales. Because the difference there as I was figuring out piece by piece was in the psychology of it. It's like when you're hiring a photographer, you are asking, you're paying for a product that you haven't yet seen. You've seen examples of the work that they've done for other people, but you don't get to see your photos before you fork over money in the all-inclusive model. So I had, there was some sort of pain threshold there and I couldn't get people to pay what I needed them to pay for all-inclusive in the numbers that I needed them to hire me. So then I was back to the drawing board and I was like, what am I going to do if I have to go get a real job? And by the way, I have a real job, but just (laughs) an office job. So I, I put together this backwards plan. I had just prior to that switched over to PickTime as my gallery software. And they have this really beautiful gallery interface where you share your photos with clients. But because I was doing all in-person sales, People were never going into the store that's attached to this beautiful gallery, pretty store, but they weren't going in because they had already purchased their photos through me. So I was frustrated by that because I was like, ah, I'm paying for this software and I'm not really getting the benefit of it. And so one day I just had this sort of aha moment and I was like, I bet I can reverse engineer in-person sales 
and make it an automated process, but use all these lessons that I've learned with in-person sales. So I started doing this thing and I won't go into all the details. It's a, it's a process, but ultimately I set up this system that allowed me to still only charge a session fee, have people come in, do their photos, and then present them their photos in this gallery. And then they go through this sales process with essentially the click of a button on my end. And I make the same amount of money. So that was all great. <laughs> but what ended up happening was that like, I guess it was about a year later, I actually met the founders of PickTime at a conference that I went to. And I was chatting with them about this and they were looking at my gallery sales averages and they were like, these are really out of the norm. What are you doing? How is this working? And so we got to talking and a few months later, they contacted me and said, we're building an app or we're building a series of apps and we're interested in putting this system into something that other people can use as well. In combination with the family narrative, those two things came together for me to, to really start focusing more on the education piece of my business. And yeah, that's, <laughs> I feel like I keep doing these big, long monologues. Sorry. No, don't No, It's fabulous. This is what it's, it's all about yeah. is hearing these success stories. And I say that out loud. And then whenever I say the word success, I'm always like, what we're all in process and constantly evolving. Always. And I'm curious to, to, to have a conversation lead to an app being created and co partnering with a brand that you love and use, like what, it, how did that feel for you, first of all, but then can you talk a little bit about what your definition of success is and if it's changed in the past 10 years? Oh, gosh. Yeah. When you were saying just a moment ago, what you were saying, I was going to say, oh, but the, the goalpost keeps moving, right? With success. And I want to, and then I caught myself <laughs> and I thought, it's not that the goalpost keeps moving. And in fact, I feel like when we allow ourselves to keep moving the goalposts on ourselves for success, we're really not doing ourselves any favors. I think that we need, one of the things that's really important is celebrating your successes. It can be so easy to be focused on the future. There's that metaphor where you're like climbing the mountain and you never turn around to look at the view. I think that we are never, this is not a, there's no mountain peak here. There's no, you don't get to be the world's best photographer. There's, this is, what are we aiming for? I try to work more in terms of milestones and goals that I set for myself. And then I really do try and take a minute to, to once I check those things off to, to celebrate them. And yeah, working with that, that was actually something that really came out of nowhere. Cause it, and it's funny to me now that this system that I developed, which because PickTime turned it into an app has a name. It didn't have a name when I was just doing it with my clients, but we call it the simple sales system. And I was, I was elated when they talked to me because the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, this would be hugely helpful to a lot of people. It's not certainly for everyone, but it is a, everybody out there who is doing all inclusive or that sort of thing for portrait clients there's money on the table there. I am here to tell you, <laughs> even for clients that you feel like, oh, no, this is the most amount of money that they would ever spend. 
seven years of sitting in a room with people while they were deciding about the photos that they wanted to buy and why they wanted to buy them and all those kinds of things, I learned a lot of things. And that was coming from a very non-businessy background. I figured all this stuff out the very slow way, <laughs> but, but in a way that I was convinced of it because I saw it over and over again. So now I look at where we are right now in the midst of COVID, pandemic, people being locked down, a lot of photographers struggling to stay in business or rethinking their decision to go into business. And I'm, I feel like this is an opportunity for me to turn around and pay it forward in terms of taking these lessons and helping other people maybe cut the line a little bit in terms of not having to learn all those lessons on their own because there are a lot of mistakes that can be made that will derail people, especially when you're in a situation where it's like harder to get work, the economy is more in question, all of those kinds of things. I feel like people need all the help that they can get. And yeah, that that seemed like a good reason to jump into the photo education business. Kudos and congratulations for everything that you have built along with your partners and, and co-founders of the family narrative and all of it. You said it's a where when we approach things as a community and knowing that we're not alone and having that be our motivation or our what yeah, what our what I'm blanking on the word that I'm trying to use, our intention. <laughs> yeah. When that's when we focus on what our intention is, then that's like you said, that's that's hitting those mileposts. And I'm curious because you talk on your website, you say, I'm not the, I mean, you mentioned the word rock star earlier and you are a rock star, but I'm not the person with 3 million followers. Like I'm not, if you've heard of me, it's through these things that I've done. And I'm curious if you can talk to a lot of people think that they need to have a ton of followers on social media to have a successful business. And yet a lot of who they're looking to get follow them are other photographers, which doesn't actually mm -hmm. necessarily help your business. So can you talk to that for yourself personally and how, yeah, how, talk to that. I think it's a, it's a constant struggle with social media to check your ego all the time. I will would be lying if I said that there weren't times when I was like, oh, I need more followers. Oh, I need. And I guess now in the education realm, that does become a metric that means more to me. Sure. But for years and years in my photography business, I resisted the urge to focus too much of my attention on social media. Certainly, I have gotten work from both Facebook and Instagram not on TikTok because I'm an old lady, but the, but the, I feel like those, the people who are hiring me, who are parents who, you know, are local to me, they're not, they're, they're not searching hashtags. They're not, that's 95% of the time. That's not how they're finding me. Now they may find me when their friend shares a photo that I took on one of these platforms. And that's great. But the number of likes that I have has nothing to do with the amount of money that I make. And we were talking about imposter syndrome earlier. And one of the things that I historically have struggled with a little bit is that I really geek out on the business side of running my business. And I listen to interviews that you've done with photographers, or I take a class with someone who is just 
like this has this incredible artist's heart. And for them, the absolute, the end all and be all of being a photographer is about the photography. I have so much respect for that. I really do. However, it's not me. And so I guess the final hurdle that I had to get over when it came to calling myself a photographer. For years at that point, I had been earning my living as a photographer, but there is this, I'm, I am about creating a great customer service experience. I am about feeding my children. And especially after my divorce, having to, there was no margin for error there. I, I had to look at those hard numbers and be like, this is it. You can either do this business and make this amount of money, or you can't do this business at all. And so those kinds of things for me have been really motivating in many ways, more so than the fine-tuned pieces of the, the craft. And I guess it's just the realization to me at some point it occurred to me was that creativity comes in a lot of different, wears a lot of different masks. Like we, we are people who see problems out in the world or see things that we want to change. And our creativity is getting from where we are to, to that place. And so I saw business, I came to business with as a blank page and I saw it as this almost like a game, like how am I going to solve this puzzle? And, and so that journey for me has been a very creative one and, and one that I continue to enjoy a lot. So it took me a long time to not apologize for that. I think that's a huge point in that. And you mentioned earlier, playing to your strengths and allowing that to go all in on, on that strength, which is what you've, cause we can't do it all. And I think yeah. it's a huge point that we talk a lot here at Credit Blood that creativity, business is creativity. Most, you know, it's definitely, it's problem solving. Was there, can you tell us an experience of that? Maybe it's the first time that you saw that somebody that you were, that you helped, is, is that, was able to change something for them? And is that kind of what clicked in that, oh, this is the part that I'm really good at? Yeah. So the first class that I taught for the family narrative was a couple of years in, we were just bringing in outside teachers. And then I got, I got this bug and I was like, Ooh, I want to teach a class on pricing. And then you sign yourself up for something, you give yourself a deadline. And then all of a sudden you're in it and you're trying to figure it out. And I put together a class that was pretty far off the mark from what I initially thought I was going to be teaching. And it went over really big at the family narrative. And I got a lot of very positive feedback about it. And then I tweaked it and taught it again. We had a couple of, we did three, we've done three conferences in the US and then we did two in Australia, four in the US. And anyway, and so it, it got a lot of very positive responses. And I actually had a woman get in touch with me six-ish months after the family narrative in Australia, which was coinciding with when I was doing all this stuff with PickTime, but it hadn't really launched yet. And, and she told me after the fact that she had all, she came to the family narrative only because she had purchased a ticket, but that prior to coming, she had already decided she was going to quit and go, you know, do something else that she was done with photography. But because she had invested, she decided to come and she said, your class really changed my perspective. The class was talking about how a lot of people talk about you have to make, you have to charge tons of money in order to be a successful photographer. And I broke it down into 
No, <laughs> you can charge a little bit of money. You can charge a medium amount of money or you can charge a high amount and a large amount of money, but you have to balance that with the amount of work that you're doing for each client and what you're, how you're divvying up your time. So I just talked about the kind of seesaw balance of that. And, and she said that I never felt comfortable with the idea of having to charge a lot of money. It doesn't work in my area and where I am. And you validating that as a legitimate business decision has made all the difference. And so she's still a photographer and she was one of my earliest students in the simple sales system. And, and since then I've had a whole bunch of students have similar kinds of breakthroughs where I think I just take it. I think I just take a different approach, which is we all have different gifts. We all have a different thing to, to offer. And most of us come to this with our primary strength residing in our art. It's almost, I don't know, you may be an amazing painter. I'm going to make this nice canvas for you. You need the materials. You need that foundation. And I feel like if I can be, I'm very proud of my photography. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel like I'm not a good photographer, but I also recognize that I'm not the photographer for everyone. And I love what I do as a photographer, especially as a family photographer. And I want to make, I want to make that accessible for the people who are really interested in doing that as a business. I don't want to, I don't, I hate seeing people fail because of something as fixable as their business and as things like pricing and sales strategy. So it's, it's not the most glamorous part of the job and part of the business, but it's a really important one. And, and so I, I feel very excited and motivated to be there for it. What are some of the other aspects of business running a photography business that you have learned from being from creating a community of, of people that that people have struggled with the most or that they feel like they're got to quit or they're not going to make it that, that there are that you've seen people come about in you know what I'm saying what are some of the other things that you what are have the big roadblocks that people that people can overcome and that you have done so yourself so I think that a lot of people avoid getting really clear on their numbers for fear of essentially, it's like they have in the back of their mind, I know that I'm not making enough money or charging the, the right amount of money or whatever, but if I actually look at the numbers, then I'm just going to want to quit. And I feel like for a lot of people, if you can get them to where they just say, okay, look, the numbers are what they are. I can figure this out as a puzzle, but in order to figure it out, I need to know where I'm, where I'm aiming, what I'm going for. So I feel like that's a big stumbling block for a lot of people. I think imposter syndrome is just a, an ongoing thing for so many people. And that's its own topic for sure. Fear of failure for a lot of people. And then I think that I feel frustrated sometimes with the fact that I know that so many of these people that I work with, that I'm friends with, that I teach, but just also that I see out there on the interwebs, they're obviously in, like incredibly creative people, but they get stuck when it comes to creativity around business and they just shut down. And I, I wish that I could, or I hope to inspire more willingness to play with business in the same way that people are willing to play with light and shadow and aperture and editing and all the different things that are the more fun things, because I would not have 
created the system that I created. I would not have been, you know, partnered with PickTime. I wouldn't have a podcast, all these different things. If following my divorce, I had just continued to try and put that square peg in a round hole, like it wasn't working. And the only, and I couldn't find anything that was going to work. And so I just tried something different and that doesn't always work. I've also tried plenty of things that don't work, (laughs) but, but that one hit. And I feel like we all have that capability inside of us. And I, yeah, if I can inspire somebody to, to do that would make it all worth it. I love this concept of play because we talk a lot about do the work. Clearly, you do the work, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what it does take. But was there something that allowed you to shift that word work to play to look at it differently? Because I think that's a there's some, really something there and a hugely important in our in how we approach what we're doing. Was there some personal experience that you can tell us about? Certainly this situation with my divorce and that lawyer, who I should write a thank you note to for real. But my, maybe that's, maybe there's something to that. I'm motivated by that. But the, I had ankle surgery at the end of 2018. This was actually after my divorce. I had gotten the simple sales system up and running. Everything was chugging along. I was like, okay, great. And then strike two happens. And I have this ankle surgery that was scheduled for December. It wasn't supposed to be a big deal. And then I wake up on the table or in the recovery room and the surgeon comes in and was like, whoa, (laughs) your ankle was way more messed up than we thought it was. And so they had to do essentially ankle reconstruction surgery. So I woke up to the news that actually it wasn't that I was going to be back on my feet by January. It was going to be more like the end of March. Still a better time of year than other times for me to be unable to work, but also terrifying. And so I had to like reschedule shoots that had been scheduled and all this sort of thing. But I was, it really put me in this mindset of you rely on your body for your job. You rely on this job to feed your kids. You have to figure out a plan B. There has to be something that stabilizes this Obviously anything could happen. A pandemic could hit, but, but so over the course of those months, I started playing around with ideas. And by the summer I had come up with this idea for a photo membership. Memberships are nothing new. We all subscribe to, you know, Netflix and whatever else, but it hit me randomly when I got, I have an air filtration, my HVAC filters that come every couple of months to my door and I just switch them out. And that's how I remember to do it. And I have clients who they hire me every few years and they always say, oh, I meant to hire you two years ago, but life gets in the way and I forget. And I was like, oh, there's something there. I could build a subscription model for my family photography clients. So I launched that last summer, this time last summer. And and like it was with the idea that this is just going to stabilize my income. It'll be more like a paycheck. People pay monthly over the course of the year. So I just, I have a clearer sense of what I'm getting into and my schedule only up opens up twice a year. It stabilizes my schedule, which is good with kids. And then when COVID hit, it was like, wow, I don't even know. Like the words aren't there to describe the gratitude that I felt because that would have been 
the nail in the coffin, really. I, I don't know that I could have survived that many months without having income. And I don't remember what your question was. I'm way off topic, I'm sure. But that was the second piece of, that was the second time in my business where a major hurdle forced me to get creative. And then, and then that creativity was what saved my business. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. Like it it makes me emotional when I think about it, because I'm really grateful that, that I was willing to do those things. Grateful to myself. The question was about this concept of work versus play. And, And I imagine that you had to play around with figuring out how to build this system that would, was new and Mm -hmm. would work for your clients. And if it's this mindset of play versus work, that does that change the approach mentally? What did it take to tweak and figure out how this was going to work for your clients? Did you do market research? Did you, or did you just start like putting things out there and do this. Yeah. So I did not do a whole lot of market research. I went on a run with two of the women who have hired me in the past, but who are also friends of mine. So we were out one day and I was like, let me run something by you. And I gave them the rundown of this idea. And they were like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. That's not market research, just to be clear. They're biased. They're my friends. But it, I guess what I would say is the game, the play is I wonder what would happen if, or what if we were to do it this way? What if I were to try it this way? And I, in many instances, have sat down with a blank piece of paper and just drawn out an idea map of sorts. And it does feel like play to me. I love that sort of thing. I get, anyone who knows me will tell you, I get an idea like this in my head and I want to talk to everybody about it. And I have to remind myself that if I'm at a dinner party, not everybody wants to hear about my photo membership concept. That's, that is its own thing, but I really do enjoy it because like I said before, it's really like a puzzle and I'm not, that's not, I did not create the wheel in terms of memberships. It was just like, how do we tweak this to be something that works for photography? Because as far as I knew at the time, I've since found out that that's not entirely novel in the world, but it was, I had never heard of it. So I was starting with a blank page. And I just relaunched, or I'm in the process of relaunching to the people who joined last August. And and I've made a couple of tweaks based on lessons that I've learned. For the most part, it's not rocket science. It's a leap of faith. It's a, I have to be willing to go out there to my clients and sell, which is, that is a thing that's hard for a lot of people, myself included at times, but ask people to buy into an idea. And the worst they can say is no. So I I think that when you were just talking about sales being something that is so challenging for a lot of artists and clearly you've developed a a system that, that allows you to take off that, take off some of the pressure or take off so that you can look at it more logically or something Mm -hmm. than emotionally. And when you were talking about creating this subscription for families, I'm curious if how you were able to disconnect the, you're offering something that people want and that they want to pay for from, oh my gosh, I'm afraid to ask them 
to pay me money. I think that when I was doing family photography, that was a big block for me was like, oh, once I realized like I'm offering a service that they're looking for, just if you're going to Netflix, it's because you want entertainment and you're willing to pay for it. Was there, did you have to have that mental shift? as well? At some point, I'm sure I did, but that I think happened a lot earlier in the process for me. And I have to say people, a lot of people that I talk to, photographers, when I talk about in-person sales, I can almost see them go gray. Like <laughs> this feeling of, oh, I can't even imagine sitting in the room. And yeah, there are certainly some scenarios where you get in a room with people and you're watching them. Maybe you see them have a minor argument about it or whatever. For the very few of those instances, one of the really beautiful things about in-person sales and one of the only things that I miss about it is watching people's reactions when they see this thing that they hired you for and watching them realize that it's so much better than they had even hoped. And that is, that's a very validating thing, but you have to be willing to, you have to be willing to go watch them do that. I think one of the things I, I understand that sales is difficult. Like I said, even though I have exercised that muscle by necessity and I've learned how to sell things and I understand that sometimes in order to like get someone to, to make the choice, you have to do some of the things that you're like, I would never do that. I would never say that. I would never email people three times in a day. I've done that. But once you get past that, you realize that it's all worth it when that same person that you felt like you were bothering is thanking you for the thing that you that you gave to them. And especially when it comes to photography, we are, I, I don't look at selling as a, I don't want someone to buy anything from me that they don't want. Now, they may not know that they want it. <laughs> I may have to show them that they want it. But, but if they ultimately don't want it, I certainly am not interested in selling anything to them. So I think that if people were to approach it more with that mentality, I'm the first person to say, if I walk into a store and somebody's like up in my face, can I show you this? Can I show you this? Uh, mm, please back off. So it is, it's a fine line to walk. And one of the things that I like about the simple sales system is that it really separates you from the sales process. Now you have to get the person to hire you in the first place and show them what this system is going to be. But then it's, you're not in their face. They're making a decision without having, it's disconnected in the same way that like an all-inclusive is not in your face selling, but it, it gets the job done. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. I, I, that's, it's so smart. It's super smart to, def, you know, to create these barriers and systems that just can run, not yeah. barriers, but the boundaries is something that I want to yeah. talk about. How have you been able to, because when I think about setting up these automated things, like that helps create boundaries. How have mm -hmm. you been able to, did you have a time where you felt the need? A lot of people who are entrepreneurs find themselves working all the time or always thinking about work. Have, has creating this been able to allow you to set up your own boundaries? And if so, how? Yeah, I'm not really great with work-life boundaries. <laughs> I but I I say I tell myself that is in part because I really genuinely enjoy what I do. What I think happens though is that when something is new and it's super enjoyable, you wake up first thing in the morning and you're thinking about it or you're like having dreams about it. it, it really is lighting you up. It is that creative inspiration that is, 
that makes you love what you do. And the tagline on my podcast is for photographers who want to run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. And I focus, I try to focus a lot on that, that you love part because running a business is a, it's a bunch of work. You have to do all these things. You have to worry about all these things. It's great to be your own boss, but also you're the only person to blame if something goes wrong. So there's a lot of inherent risk there. And I say that's not worth it unless you love what you're doing. The trick is figuring out how you can continue to love it over the long haul. And I feel like what systems allow you to do is once you have done something for a period of time and the novelty has started to lose its luster, then when you automate that or you systematize that or you um, hand that off to other people and outsourcing is another way to make your business more sustainable, you no longer are losing energy by having to go, like it doesn't, the parts of your job that feel like a job don't require as much time. So for so many photographers, the business side, I would say to just about anybody, the very first person you should ever hire is an accountant. (laughs) Because how many of us love to sit down and spend a week around tax time trying to figure that out? So few, that is not, that's not really a thing. So when you see the places in your business that aren't giving you that, that passion, a system is a great way to decrease, if not eliminate the amount of attention and time that you have to spend on that so that you can refocus on other things. So in the beginning of my business, for the first long period of time, photography was really all I was focused on and getting better as a in my craft and learning how to interact with clients and pose people and light people. Thank you, Bambi. But then it turns into a, a routine and a job to a certain degree. And some people then pursue personal projects and things like that. But personal projects, when they're not funded or something that is bringing money in for you, that it can only take up so much room for people who are not independently wealthy. So I feel like if you can systematize other things, then it opens up space for whatever it is. If you want to go into education, if you want to start a podcast, if you want to work on personal projects to your heart's delight, you're making the same amount of money in a smaller amount of time with good systems. Awesome. I'm curious, we're running out of time. So maybe this is the last question, but I'm still, I love that you found this video of you (laughs) and the two of us, especially like back 2011, nine years ago. And it certainly brought up a lot for me looking at that and just seeing, you know, how my, my life has evolved. But I'm wondering if you mentioned to me that your older son found this and just what is seeing yourself in video form a long time ago and, and what to compare to where you are now, how does that differ from just thinking about yourself then? And just, again, what would you tell that on me now? <laughs> I want to turn that question around on you. Oh man. I think I, I honestly just want to give her a giant hug. Like, a certain amount of time, and I don't know how much time that is, but a certain amount of time has to go by before you can get away from the hypercritical self-talk, right? I try to be good about that, but we all fall into it. And I think two, three, four years, I'm glad I haven't seen that video for years and years because I'm sure that I would have just rolled my eyes or been like, oh, I didn't know what I was talking about. And all of that stuff may be true, but at the, I, I had to be there 
to get where I am now. And so I'm so grateful that I was willing to make mistakes and try and keep going and put myself out there and all those things. So I think that's my overwhelming feeling. It was very much, oh, and also I want to tell her, go enjoy yourself in the mirror, you young whippersnapper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, but yeah, I would love to hear the same from you. I love what you said about just give that, give her a hug because Mm. I too, I'm proud of everything that I've been a part of with Creative Live and what we've built. And yet it it is that still that self-talk, it still exists for me today. And what you talked about earlier in terms of acknowledging what you have done and looking Mm -hmm. backwards, it it was an opportunity for me to look backwards. And so I really did appreciate that versus just the looking forward of what's next, how am I going to continue to evolve is coming back around to that's why we do what we do as photographers, right? Is to, for our clients, is to give them those, those moments in time. And so that, so they can look back and look at back at, at their lives and their families. Absolutely. It is. It's like a snapshot of, of the journey from before. And it's, we are our memories. We are our stories. And I think that being able to revisit those with like compassion is, is one of the joys of life. Ah, compassion is key. Yes. Key. Self-compassion and compassion for the world (laughs) and our clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. Anami, I'm so, it's been such a pleasure to to have you on the podcast, to have you back on Creative Live. And I have been asking people in the chat what if they're part of your community and what have they learned. And so Cornell, who I know has been on your podcast as well, yeah. is on the in the chat on creativelive.com slash TV. And he says, um, hi, Cornell. I, hi, Cornell. He says, I've been to the, the family narrative conferences and I'm here and on this can't be that hard. I probably would have quit um, months into starting a family photography business because I can't imagine doing it without this community she and the other boss ladies have built. How does that make you feel? The best. <laughs> I don't know if you, so you said that Cornell perhaps through the podcast, but it like, go look at his work, his, if for someone like that to quit because of something stupid and totally surmountable, like figuring out your business, it would be a tragedy. So I feel like, yeah, getting to claim something like that makes my heart want to burst. It's so good. So I, I need, we all need those people, more of those people out there in the world, putting their art out there. So it's so good. Thank you to everybody who has been commenting and from all over. Samantha Fong says, awesome interview. Watching from Orange County. We have Dallas, Texas. We have Rakesh who says she can give lessons what they don't teach at Harvard. So there you go. (laughs) No MBA needed. Where can everybody find you, follow you, find out more about the uh, things that you have been talking about throughout this and of course, listen to to your your podcast as well. Tell us all the places. Great, yeah. My podcast is called "This Can't Be That Hard." 
my website is thiscantbethathard.com and you can find me on Insta at thiscantbethat. Somebody else stole the hard part. So we're just, this can't be that. And my regular photography is Megapixie, M-E-G-A-P-I-X-I-E. Awesome. Thank you so much. And everybody out there, go check Anami out and everything that she has built. You are inspiring to me, again, looking back at us nine years ago and at Creative Live, like you are why we do what we do. And so it, it means a lot for us as a company and a business to to know that we had a piece in, obviously, like I said before, you did the work, you can watch classes all you want, but until you start doing the work or the play that, that, but having us having been part of that story is just meaningful to what we do and our community as well. At this point, I am sure that you guys have tens of thousands of those stories. So that's my next goal. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, like I said, go check out Anami's everything. (laughs) And we will see you all next time here on Creative Live TV, as well as you can listen to all the episodes of We Are Photographers with other photographers and filmmakers at creativelive.com slash podcast, or wherever it is that you do stream your podcasts. So Anami, thank you so much. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you. I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. We originally recorded this episode live on Creative Live TV. That's our new live stream to entertain, inspire, and connect us all coming from the living rooms, kitchens, and home studios of the world's top creators. Check out what's playing now and upcoming shows on creativelive.com TV. Be sure to follow Anami Tonkin at megapixie.com. Find her podcast at thiscantbethathard.com. Plus the conference at thefamilynarrative.com. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, head over to creativelive.com and check out the Creator Pass. That's our subscription that gives you access to over 2,000 classes on demand. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review We Are Photographers wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, and a five-star review goes a long way. And if you like this episode, tell someone about it. Word of mouth truly is the best way for us to reach more creators just like you. You can stay up to date with everything happening at Creative Live by following us on social media, at Creative Live Everywhere. And I'm Klosterman on Instagram and Kenna K. Photo on Twitter. Send me a message so we can connect as well. Thank you again to Anami Tonkin, and I'll see you all next week for another episode.